Amen. It's pretty easy to not take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter number one, right? You can find that book uh, in the Bible. Every once in a while, even preachers have a hard time finding a book. You know where it's at, but you don't have a good flippy Bible sometimes. And you're like, Zechariah, come here. Come here. Why aren't you coming up? And so it's always nice. Genesis, Revelation, it's hard to get it wrong. But, you know, the last time we were together, we were talking about creation. And we're going to be talking about creation for the next couple of weeks. And uh, it's, it's amazing. Even this weather that we're having tonight uh, in creation, we know that that's the result of the fall, the sin of Adam and all of that. But uh, last time we talked about the very, very first verse in the Bible. Let's look at it together. Genesis chapter 1. Verse number one, it says this. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so tonight, we're going to kind of focus in on the second verse uh, because the, the shift here kind of focused to the earth. He created the heavens and the earth, and he just turns his attention to the earth. Verse two says this. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Now, the question is, one of the things I love talking about is how old is the earth now, many scientists today, 4.5, 5 billion years, you know, a billion here and a billion there. It's difficult to, uh, to keep track of, you know, when you're just a billion years in one direction. Um, many Bible teachers teach that the earth is actually much younger than this. You would call them young earth creationists. I am a young earth creationist. I just believe the timeline we're basically given in the Bible. I think the earth is a few thousand years ago, and I just... Uh, base that on scripture and uh, uh, I think it's pretty simple it's not that complicated but we make it very complicated I happen to believe that true science and the Bible always agree with each other always uh, when you find what science actually really truly says and you know that science changes right so when you find what science actually truly says, and you find what Scripture actually truly says, those two will never contradict. God is the author of two books. One's the Bible, the other one's nature. If God made the, wrote the Bible and God created nature, those two things are never going to contradict each other, and they don't. Um, you read about God in the Scriptures, and you see about God in nature. Those two things are going to line up. Uh, uh, of course, I've heard people say, now you've got to understand, Brother Marcus, the Bible's not a science book. And you're right, it's not. You know, the, the Bible may not be exactly right when it comes to science. I've just never been comfortable with that position in any shape, form, or fashion um, that when God writes a book, it might be wrong. Right? And so it just doesn't make any sense that if we believe, no matter how you may believe tonight about how it came about, but if you believe that God made creation and God inspired this book, it doesn't make any sense that God does not understand his own creation. That God's like, that's how that happened? I didn't even know. Do you really think the God who created the cosmos doesn't understand cosmology? The God who created the stars doesn't understand uh, astronomy. The God who created plants doesn't know botany. The God who created the animals doesn't know zoology. The God who created the rocks doesn't know anything about geology. Now, the Bible is not a science book, but whenever it talks about scientific things, it's always correct, accurate, infallible, without error. And so I'm going to look at this first verse 
the second verse from a couple of different points of view. Number one, the first way we want to look at it, big word, write it down, scientifically. 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 We want to look at it through the lens of science. I don't have any problem with that. But one of the sciences that cause a lot of people not to trust the Bible and then in turn not trust the Lord and lose their faith, if you will, is uh, geology. The study of the rocks and the earth and the ages of the earth. Many people, they take one class at the university level and they dump everything they ever learned about the Bible because some pagan professor in a geology class told them and then used like hand drawings to prove it, how old the earth really is. They lose their faith. And so let's talk about geology for just a minute. Look at this next slide right here. This is Charles Lyle. He's known as the father of modern uh, geology. This is the guy. Uh, he developed his theories on the basis of a, a surveyor in England named William Smith. Now, William Smith was surveying over in England, digging, and he discovered rock layers, these rock layers. And so William Smith assumed these rock layers that are here in England must be the same everywhere on the earth, right? And so it represented uh, a major shift in scientific understanding. Pre-mid-1800s, almost all the scientists believed in the flood. They thought that when you studied the earth, you studied things, that you would see evidence of chaos and destruction. And they're actually correct. But rather than uh, thinking everything was uniform, well, William Smith decided everything is uniform. There's uniformity. So if the rock layers are like this in England, then they'll be like this on another continent and like this somewhere else. And so that theory was very appealing to Charles Lyell. And so Charles Lyell, um, he was a friend of Charles Darwin. They were buddies. Uh, Charles Lyell, the father of modern geology, was a lawyer, not even a scientist, and he was an avowed atheist. He didn't believe in the flood. He didn't believe in any of those kind of things. Didn't believe the Bible. And so... Today, even today, when you pick up your geology book, you're basically still in 2018 working off of theories that this man, an attorney who was friends with Charles Darwin, came up with. That's what you're seeing. Matter of fact, look at this slide. He came up with this. Uh, I know you can't see that super well, but that's the geological col geologic column. You've seen that on the left before, right? Or something like it. It's telling you kind of what kind of fossils you'll find in every layer of the earth, Right? And so the study of these various rock layers, and the idea is, is that when you study these rock layers, you can discover how old the earth is by the fossils that are found in the rock layers themselves. But Charles Lyell made an assumption that everything was uniform. Everything's the same. Same in England, same over here, that the rock layers are the same around the world. And he also made the assumption that evolution is true. So this started with evolution is true we've got rock layers so this must be true about rock layers and so he believed so what you have and what you have in his a geological column uh, that you still see in textbooks today you start down here where simpler the deeper you go the more simple simpler life forms and then as they developed and they evolved you find more complex life forms all the way up. You have the different ages and the periods, the Zoic period, the Precambrian period, the Jurassic. You ever heard that word Jurassic, Jurassic Park? This column is where the word Jurassic originally came from, from Charles Lyell. And so that's the basic thesis of what Charles Lyell put forth, an attorney 
who was buddies with Charles Darwin. Now, like Darwin, he recognized that if evolution were true, in these rock layers, you should find fossils and uh, you should find species changing from one to another. In other words, it's not just going to be, you know, uh, a fish to a man. There will be transitional animals, transitional fossils showing that change. Like if you're descended from a monkey, somewhere we're going to find somebody where the first guy where the monkey fell off, I mean the tail fell off. Does that make sense? Transitional species. But the dirty little secret in paleontology and, and uh, geology is that the, the, none of those don't, there's no transitional fossils in the fossil record. You never find a half fish, half quadruped. Does that make sense? Those spe- the, the transitional species do not exist. There's nowhere in the fossil record is there a man with a tail Does that, make, that he was born with. Amen. And so, or even on down, there's nowhere, you know, in, in between. There's not a half, you know, small dinosaur, half dog. There's that fossil does not exist. Matter of fact, Darwin, never mind, I'm not even going to go that deep into it. But what you do, what you have here is you say, well, you, if, in geology today, in 2018, you say, how old is this rock layer? And they say, well, that rock layer goes back 2 million years. How do you know that? Well, we know it because of the fossils that we find there. We know these fossils are 200 years old, 2 million years old. And then you say, well, how do you know those fossils are 2 million years old? And they say, because of the rock layer we find it in. Do you see the circular reasoning? We know how old the rock is by the fossil. How do you know how old the fossil is by the rock? It's predetermined circular reasoning. It's, it's arguing in a circle. It's not logical. And it would never be accepted in most sciences. Now, if they don't go by the uh, geological column, they'll use carbon dating. Have you, ever, have you ever heard of carbon dating? Carbon 14? What they do is they measure the rate of decay of the radioactive materials and dead fossils, and they believe they can determine the ages of fossils and of rocks by measuring the radioactive uh, decay. But the truth is, even carbon dating, more and more scientists today are discarding that as a reliable dating method. Matter of fact, it's pretty common in science now. They can't date anything with any specificity, just any ability to be precise at all beyond about 3,500 years. And carbon dating really doesn't work beyond that at all. After that, there, it just doesn't work. Carbon dating doesn't work. Anything a little bit over 3,000 years, years old. Look at this next slide. That's a mollusk. Is a member of the oyster family. They did carbon, de- uh, carbon 14 testing on one of these bad boys, and they found out that it had been dead for 3,000 years. <laughs> it wasn't a 3,000-year-old mollusk. In other words, carbon 14 dating is very unreliable. Uh, something very recent, very new, it, it tends to do a little bit better, but you still have these outliers where carbon-14 dating is just not found to be reliable at all. Uh, the mate, uh, they're just not accurate. Another thing you have to understand is the geological column and even um, carbon dating depends on this theory of uniformity. In other words, what the theory of uniformity means is this, the way things are right now are the way they've always been. In other words, our atmosphere is the same, the air is the same, the, the, the whole makeup of what our ecosystem is the same now as it's always been. In other words, if you come up with a dating system for now, somehow you have to assume 
that everything has always been exactly like it is right now. Everything from radiation to gravity to the atmosphere to what we breathe, the number of plants on the planet, the number of trees on the planet. And I'm not a rocket scientist, but I'm pretty sure the way things are now simply are not the way they've always been, right? But they rely on this theory of uniformity that things now are like they've always been. Now, maybe I've, I got you a little bit lost, but I don't mean to uh, get too far down that scientific trail there. But what I'm trying to show you is you do not have to throw away your Bible to think with a scientific mind. The two aren't exclusive. Look at this verse, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. It talks about the skeptics who mock the coming of Jesus. He says, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Uniformity. Ever since the beginning of time, the same thing has been happening. All things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Look at verse number 5. It says, for this they willfully forget. They forget this and they do it on purpose that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water, verse 6, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. What's he saying? He's saying the way things were before the flood ain't the way they are now. That's what he's saying right here in Scripture. He said they willfully forget this, that the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of water, but the earth that then existed perished. We, it's different now. And the Bible tells us that a catastrophe took place and that everything today just isn't the same as it was before the flood. The atmosphere isn't the same. The, the plants, the animals, everything is just not the same. Something big happened. And because of something like the flood, you can look at certain rock formations. They look like they're millions of years old. The Grand Canyon. Now, you know how they said the Grand Canyon was formed, right? That little Colorado River. And I'm not going to go into all the details, but it'll be the first river in history that ran upstream at some points and downstream and then upstream. Okay, I'm not getting into that tonight. But that little Colorado River, a little bit, you've seen it. It's way down there, just a trickle of water that the little Colorado, compared to the Grand Canyon, that just a little bit of water over millions and billions of years created the Grand Canyon. Let me ask you tonight. Was it a little bit of water over millions of years or over a whole bunch of water real fast? Wouldn't the result be the same? Would the result be any different at all? A little water for a long period of time or a whole lot of water for a very short period of time? I don't know. Maybe you've... Um... Oh, by the way, I put it in my notes. In the Grand Canyon, there's, uh, they found five different places where the geological column is twisted. In other words, it's not in the right order. According to Lyle. So you can go there, and what's supposed to be here, 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 and here, and here is actually <laughs> twisted, and it's the opposite. And how do you explain that? Mm, millions of years, I guess. Or right, look at this next slide. I don't know how well you'll be able to see this. That's in Georgia, in Providence, in Lumpkin, Georgia. Back in the 1800s, they were farming this area. There were farms, there was a community, and because of soil erosion, they had to move the town away from it, move the community, the houses off of that land. And eventually, you have what they call the Little Grand Canyon. In, in spots, it's 15 stories deep. They call it, like again, the Little Grand Canyon. But if you take the exact same scientific measurements and do the same things we do with the Grand Canyon, 
and you applied it to the little Grand Canyon, you would think that it took millions of years to make that as well. But we know beyond a shadow of doubt that was created in 200 years. 200 years. Now, they were farming that land in the 1800s. There were people living on top of that. But if a scientist came in today and looked at the rock columns and, and went and traced all the rock columns down, they'd say, well, this obviously took millions of years to get to this point. It took a little less than 200 years. When God created the earth, he did it in such a way that it had the appearance of age. Have you thought about that? That God created things with the appearance of age? Look at this next slide. Uh, I don't know how we can see that either. That's Mount St. Helens. On the left is before it erupted in the 1980s. And the right is the damage that was done six minutes later. It doesn't even look like the same volcano, the same mountain, does it? Completely changed. Completely different. It only took six minutes to change it forever. If you go in there with your geological tools and using the same things they use to tell me that the Grand Canyon is millions of years, millions and millions and millions of years old, and you go to Mount St. Helens, you do some carbon-14 testing on the rocks, which they've done, it would tell you that it took millions of years for that mountain to change. We know it, it took six minutes. That's all. When God created the universe, he created it, I believe, with the appearance of age. You ever heard that question, which came first, the chicken or the egg? The chicken! <laughs> the chicken came first, the appearance of age. When God created trees, did he create little baby trees? No, he created full-grown trees. When he created Adam, was he a little baby Adam? Did God have to change his diaper? No, he created a man, didn't he? And when God created Eve, he created a whoa man, right? Wasn't, wasn't some little girl, wasn't some little boy. Created them with the appearance of age. Creation is a miracle of God. We even see this in other miracles that Jesus did. Water into wine. Does, does, can you make wine instantly or does it take a minute? If you have wine, you have something that is aged, correct? Correct? Something that is aged and it took time. And Jesus instantly turned water into wine, something that would take time to make. That wine had the appearance of age. The loaves and the fishes. When he multiplied the loaves and the fishes, was it, was it flour <laughs> and little baby fishes that had to wait to grow? Or was it fully prepared bread and full-grown fish? God, all through Scripture, makes things with the appearance of age. But for some reason, we don't think he could do that with the world when he's done that with everything else. Think about it. He created and he multiplied and everything had the appearance of age. So we have to be careful that when we read something, we see something, that we don't just, you know, we don't drop science. We want to have a scientific mind and have understanding about these things. But you most definitely do not have to throw your Bible away. Science has never contradicted the Word of God once you've gotten down to it. Matter of fact, I used to love Adrian Rogers one time was preaching. He was talking about archaeology. And they found some tablets, and they thought these tablets contradicted what was in the Bible. Well, that was their understanding at that time. Ha-ha, we've got proof. The Bible's wrong. This story, this king and that king, the Bible's wrong. Right? You fast forward 10 years, they find, out, find another tablet. They go, oh, that explained it. The Word of God is not contradicted anywhere in science, rightfully, rightly understood. So we want to think scientifically. Number two, write this down, but we want to be literal about the Bible. Now, we know that there's symbolism in Scripture, there's poetry in Scripture, but we want to take Scripture literally where it's meant to be taken literal. 
Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Let's look at it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Again, I'm not going to spend a bunch of time on it, but we need to take it literally. Isaiah 45, verse 18 says, Thus says the Lord, who created the heavens? Who is God? Who formed the earth and made it? Who has established it? Who did not create it in vain? Who formed it to be inhabited? I am the Lord, and there's no other. If, you, if we can't believe the creation story, you just can't believe the Bible. I'm just going to be honest with you. I mean, you can. I'm sure you can rationalize it and disagree with me if you want to. It doesn't mean you're like not a believer. You're just wrong. Amen. And John chapter 1, verse 3 says this. All things were made through him. Without him, Jesus, nothing was made that was made. The Bible very clearly and plainly, Old Testament, New Testament, again and again and again and again, says God created everything just like he said he did in the book of Genesis. You can believe it. You can trust it. You need to take it literal. Number three, we also need to take it personal. Personally, because there's this beautiful picture that's found in creation, and that picture is salvation. Salvation. It's just amazing. The Bible, all the different books of the Bible, how it's unified all the way from Genesis to the very end of Revelation. Anytime it talks about creation, it's always creation, degeneration, and regeneration. Salvation is the same thing. Creation, degeneration, and regeneration. It's a picture of what sin has done to our life and what Jesus does for us and saving us. It's an amazing picture. Uh, the reference in this verse, look at second in your notes, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. It's a, it references creation. It says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That verse of Scripture says that creation and what we find in Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 is a picture of what he does in my life and yours. And so I've put there in your notes three different pictures of what this looks like. Hey, write this down. First thing we see in the creation story is the condition of the sinner, the lost person without Jesus. I didn't put the verses back in there, but it says the earth was without form. Without form, without Christ, there's no sense of purpose, no sense of meaning. It says that it's void, that it's empty. We know that our lives and our hearts are empty apart from Christ Jesus, that the human heart was made to be inhabited by God, the Holy Spirit. God has made the human heart to know the Lord. Void. And then it says there's darkness. Right? Scripture teaches us that if we don't know Christ, there's darkness in our heart, darkness in our life. That's the condition of the sinner. It's right out of Genesis chapter 1. Now, next, write this down. Then we also see the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit's role in creation and in our lives. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the last part says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That word hovering, I love that word, means um, it's like vibrating. That's as close as I can get to it. It's like vibrating. It's, it's this idea of activity, of energy between the creator and the creation, right? There's a connection there, even though it's hovering. The Holy Spirit does the same thing for the lost person. It convicts people of their need for Jesus, right? For the lost person, the Holy Spirit isn't in them, but when he's speaking to them and drawing them, he's hovering. Does that make sense? Hovering. The Holy Spirit of God brings people to an awareness that they're lost, man, and they need Jesus, and you see his role there in creation. Now see, so finally we see the conversion of the Savior. The conversion of Jesus. What he does in our life. Genesis chapter 1 verse 3 says, Then God said, 
What did he say? Say it with me. Let there be light. And then what happened? And there was light. Let there be light, and there was light, and it happened instantaneously. By the way, how long do you think it took God to say that? A couple of billion years? Let another million years be. No, that doesn't make any sense, does it? By the way, people that ascribe to oh, I didn't want to, the gap theory, have you ever heard of the thing called the gap theory in Scripture where between each, we'll talk about it, between each of these verses is like a billion years, right? The gap theory. Like there was a billion, he created everything. He waited a billion years before he said, let there be light. That's a speech impediment. That's not God. When God speaks, he doesn't stutter. Let there be light, and there was light. The moment that you realize you're lost, the moment that you recognize you need God, the moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, instantly you're saved. Now, it doesn't take a million years. Instantly, where there was darkness, the light has come on. Christ comes into your heart, comes in your life, and he does it in an instant. He takes the, um, that void, wastefulness. He takes that old void and replaces it with usefulness, the old emptiness, and replaces it with fullness, that old darkness, and he replaces it with brightness and with light. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The same God who took the earth without form, with a void and in darkness, the same God who spoke life and light and existence into our hearts when he saved us. Creation is a picture of the very real salvation that Christ offers us. I'm going to be honest with you. If the God who couldn't create is the God who could not save. It's the one and same God. And he starts his picture of salvation right here in the very beginning of the Bible of what he's going to do in the human heart. He spoke light and life into our lives where otherwise it was void, empty, and dark with sin. The God who can come into your heart and change your life is the God who can create the universe with his word. And it's amazing. Amen? All right, let's stand, and we're going to pray together, and we will be dismissed. Let's pray, guys. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for the truthfulness found in your word. Thank you that, God, we have a sure word from you that is not contrary to logic, critical thinking, scientific knowledge. God, that you are the creator of everything. And God, we thank you for creating us and loving us enough, God, that you created in us a new heart when we trust you, that you've given us life and light and meaning and purpose and passion. Lord, thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit when we get saved. Thank you for your presence in our life. Lord, help us to be a, a witness and a light to people that need it, that are, they're living in the darkness. God, may we shine the light so bright that they'll see exactly what you've done for us and God, what you're willing to do 